Years ago, it was a missionary, in fact, that said, a penny ought to remind you of a missionary because it is one cent. And uh, not the value of the penny, but the, really the calling of the missionary is one that goes out with good tidings. Um, we, we think of the word maybe evangelism or evangelist in the Bible, the uh, preacher of the gospel. It's mentioned in different ways, but the word came about later after our Bible was completed. But we're going to look at something maybe somewhat unique as far as a beginning lesson on missions. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. If you draw your attention to verse number 1, it says, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. So we have the setting. This is nearing the crucifixion of Christ. This is basically the end of the um, earthly ministry of the Lord. And we find a very simple but very powerful story in beginning of verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat, and there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have, given to the, and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, here's what Jesus has to say about it. Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, um, I'm sorry, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Look at verse 9. He says, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Jesus says very clearly and very simply, Wherever this gospel be preached, and he just told us in verse 8 what the gospel was. It was for his burial. He would be crucified. He would take the sin of the world upon himself, be killed, be buried, and on the third day rise again. And that gospel message, everywhere it would be preached, this woman and this story would come about. And here we have it, some 2,000 years later, this story being refreshed in our minds. Most of us are familiar with it. This woman comes into the house where Jesus was. She has this type of box or this case of this precious ointment. Now today, in our day, perfumes and, and colognes are still somewhat pricey. That's why I don't wear them. I can't afford them. And not the ones that smell good. But in their day, it was much more expensive. You couldn't just go down to Walmart or, or, or another store and pick up a can of perfume. It was something that required mixtures. It had to be transported from different places. And then it had to be stored. And here she has this type of box. And in this box has a very precious amount of ointment. Now here they said it could have been sold for some 300 pence. Now in another place in the Bible you find where there were people getting paid for a day's wage was one pence. And here, this is some 300 pence, potentially the, the same amount of a year's wage. Quite a bit of money. And there she, as it says, broke this box. Now, I, I did a, some minimal research on this. And, and frequently, this, this type of breaking was just the, 
um, the way it was told as she, she had to cause these mixtures, or these, these uh, different liquids to be mixed by the breaking of the box, and it was, it was completely exhausted. It was all used. She didn't give half of it. She didn't give part of it. She gave all of it. And there she poured it out really as a testimony of her love for Christ and as he said, as, a, as signifying his death and as a memorial for him in, in his giving his life. And as we always see throughout the New Testament with Jesus and his life, you have the critics. You have people there who begin to immediately criticize this act. They said all that money was wasted. It could have been used and given to the poor. We could have taken this money and distributed it to different good causes. But Jesus immediately reproves them and says, no, she did what she, she could have and she did what she should have. And as I thought about this lesson or the story that we have the account of here in Mark chapter 14, I ask myself and I ask you as, a, as the church really this question, are we doing what we can? See, look at verse number 8 again. Jesus said, she hath done what she could. She did what she could. And when we consider this matter of missions, personally and collectively, are we doing what we can? Let's look, just take a couple notes as far as what, what happened in this lesson. First of all, she prioritized her passion. See, what was important to her wasn't as important to the people that were viewing this situation. What was important to her was the Lord. Her priority was on Christ. She came in and her focus wasn't on what was in that box. Her focus on wasn't the cost of the box. It was on what she could give to Christ. I wonder what, if you were to answer the question, what are your priorities today? What is important to you? In Matthew chapter number 6, 21, Jesus gives us these words, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where, where you spend your money, that's where your heart is. Where you spend your time, that's where your heart is. Where you put your focus, that indeed is where your heart is. If you would turn just a few uh, books over to John chapter number 17. In verse 3, here Jesus tells us really what the reasoning of why he came and the reasoning by which salvation would be given. Frequently, if you were to say, why did you get saved, or what's the purpose of salvation, people would say, well, you know, I got saved so I could go to heaven, or I got saved so I could be, escape hell, or I get saved to be freed of sin, and all those are true, but Jesus tells us really what eternal life is in verse number 3, John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. See, eternal life is, is a additive to salvation. An escape from hell is an extra and a blessing of salvation. Really, the purpose and the point of why you and I got saved and why Jesus came that we might be saved is that the relationship that was, by sin, separating us from God could be reunited. Amen. And we could be rejoined to our Creator and make God our Father. Amen. So often we really lose sight of that. And we, we begin to say, well, what's the priority? Well, the priority is missions. No, the priority really isn't missions. The priority is that we have a true view of God. The priority is that we have a relationship with God. And when we begin to have that relationship with God, in turn, our priorities become His priorities, which one of them are missions. 
There's a common statement that you've probably heard or a little saying that says you ought to get involved in the church and serve the Lord. But you know, really, it ought to be the opposite. It ought to be you ought to get involved in the Lord and serve the church. You ought to get involved, you ought to build a relationship with Christ, and in that relationship, there's going to be a desire and a a more fervent commitment and a longing to serve others and serve the the believers, and and in so doing, serve the lost. So first of all, her priorities were right. She, she prioritized her passion. Secondly, there was prudence in her position. See, when she came into this room, she made Jesus the center of attention. She had no desire to make herself the center. She showed no care for her personal promotion. In fact, when she made her exit, she left without even revealing her identity. Here, Mark doesn't even mention a name. We don't know really who... People speculate on who she was, but there's no convincing of who she really was. And that wasn't her desire. So often we fail in this matter. We want to get the recognition. We want to get the attention. Look what I did, or look where I was, or look what I've done. But here she comes into the room, and she cares nothing for herself. Her desire and her longing is to uplift Christ. I think of the words of John the Baptist. We won't turn there for sake of time, but in John 3 and verse 30, he said, and he must increase, but I must decrease. One of the greatest preachers, and as Jesus said, the greatest prophet born of woman was John the Baptist. And his his mission statement was that he himself would be humbled, he would be put down, and Christ would be exalted. And Jesus said himself in John chapter 12 and verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. Really, the gospel itself is just lifting up Christ. And that's exactly what this woman did. As she enters the room, we don't know what the conversations were. We don't know what was taking place. But we know that when she entered in, she made one priority, and that was to uplift Christ. First of all, her priority was was Christ. She prioritized her passion. She had prudence in her position. Finally, we see that she perfected her her purpose. Let me read again in verse 8, what we read a moment ago. Jesus, in his own words, states this, she hath done what she could. He says, let her alone, for she hath done what she could. You know, sometimes when we think about the matter of missions or any spiritual work, we think, and I'm, I'm, I don't think this is a bad thing, but often we think of the, the biggest thing. As Brother Moore said, sometimes we spend too much time thinking, I've got to do the greatest thing, and we fail to do the humble things or the simple things. We, we, want to, we overthink, how can I be a blessing to our missionaries? And he, as he stated, just send me a text and that'll, that'll be enough. Sometimes the simple things, especially when they're done collectively, makes all the difference. After working for some 15 years or so in different businesses and among different people, I don't know if I could say mostly lazy people, but as you know, if you're in any type of workforce, there's no want for uh, people without ambition. And I frequently said this in different job situations. If everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. And it's the same thing in the church. If everyone would be willing to do a little, 
no one would have to do a lot. Now, there'd be still people that did a lot because that's just kind of the way you're wired. You enjoy being busy. You enjoy being dedicated. You enjoy doing a lot, and that's fine. But usually, most people are doing, or many people are doing a lot because most people are doing less than little. They're doing nothing. In this matter of world evangelism, when we think about the, the masses, there's over 7 billion people on the face of the globe right now, and it's steadily rising. The, 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 uh, the, the birth rate is nearly double the mortality rate. There, there are twice as many people being born as there are dying. And therefore, it continues to rise at an astronomical rate. I did some, I spent just a few minutes doing some, some math. That These are the kind of things that sometimes encourage me, sometimes they discourage me. If we could somehow usher in, fill this, I don't know how many people fit in here, but let's say we packed it out and put 500 people in here and 500 people in the gym and brought in 1,000 people every hour and preached the gospel to them. For one hour, 500 people sat in this building and 500 people sat in this, that building and we did that around the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It would take over 800 years to just preach the gospel to the current population. When you think about that, you think, God's called us to give the gospel to the whole world. That's impossible. Indeed, it is impossible for just one person or just one, one unit, one church. But he's given the commission not just to us, he's given it to all believers and with that, let, let me just give you three thoughts as we begin this missions conference that I want us to really, hopefully, take heart and consider. When we consider this question, are we doing what we can? And, and as you ask yourself the question, are you doing what you can? Number one, as I already mentioned, the commission to evangelize was given to the local church. We'll talk about that later in more detail. But we, we find two things in that. We find, first of all, authority. We find power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he was talking to that group, that assembled body of believers that he had brought to himself, whom he had discipled, who, who were what we call the, really the first church. And after that, it was really given to his churches. And in that, we find the authority to baptize. We, we find authority to administer the ordinances of the church. We have, we have the authority to send out other missionaries. We have authority to start other churches. And then we find power. He said, all power is given unto me, and I give that power to you. I give that strength to you to take the gospel out. So number one, the commission to evangelize was given to the local church. Number two, the home is where missions is shaped and reinforced. As moms and dads, if you think that your children are going to understand everything they can about missions in one week of a missions conference, or even one Sunday school lesson throughout the, the week, you're mistaken. Amen. Missions ought to be reinforced and shaped in your home. I was talking to someone just yesterday. We began in our home. Our children are very young. And, but we began in our home learning and praying for different countries that have no gospel, really very little to no gospel influence. Countries like Pakistan. My son, my, my four-year-old son, prays for Pakistan almost every night. And I'm not saying I'm a good dad because I've taught him that, but it was very simple. As we began to pray for these places, it, he, he learned Pakistan and he prays for them almost every night. We pray for people groups in Turkey. We pray for countries throughout the Middle East. We pray for people groups in India. 
And at home, we're learning this ought to be our priority. This ought to be our focus. This ought to be our emphasis. Because one day when my children are teenagers or adults and they sit in a missions conference like this, I don't want this to be some unknown language to them. I want this to be very commonplace, but just a, a, a refocus or a reminder of what they already know. Number one, the commission is given to the local church. Number two, the home is where missions is shaped and reinforced. And number three, the furtherance of, the, of world evangelism requires personal commitment. I'm convinced that when Jesus said, go ye into all the world to preach the gospel, he was talking to the church. And I believe as a church member, as a leader of my home, I believe it's our responsibility as a family. But very basically and simply, it's not just the church's job and not just the family's job, but it's my job. And until you and I are willing to look ourselves in the mirror and say, the job of evangelism is up to me, it will not get done. Because we'll just sit and look at everyone else and say, it's your job. And you'll look at this side and say, it's your job. And you'll look at this side and say, it's your job. And we'll just kind of keep pushing the, the need to evangelize on someone else. See, it requires moms and dads to look themselves in the mirror and say, it's my job to train my family in this matter of missions. It's the men's job to, to look themselves and say, it's, it's my job to lead my family in missions. It, it, it's mom's job to look themselves in the mirror and say, it's my job to encourage my children in this matter of missions. See, if we don't take it personally, take the command and move it from go ye into all the world to go me into all the world, it will never get done. I want to encourage you this morning and throughout the course of this week, thinking of this woman who did what she could, what can you do? And maybe you sit here today and you think, I really don't know. I plead ignorance. Well, by the end of this week, you'll have no excuse. I want to encourage you to make every service and make a point not to just be here and be present, but to be receiving and gleaning from the truth that's given. And as we receive it, Let's act upon it. Let's take responsibility personally that we might make a difference in this world around us. It's amazing. I, 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 don't, I don't have statistics in front of me. But get on. There's a, there's a world-o-meter you can look online on. And it literally shows the, who, how many people are dying every second. And it's just, it just rattles off the numbers. It's unbelievable. And if you look up the statistics on how many people die of starvation or some kind of food-related hunger, it's unbelievable. You look at, you think about countries who are famished in poverty, but more the, the greater need than their, their physical needs is the hunger of their soul. And we have, as a church, we have the authority and the responsibility to take that gospel. Let's, let's receive it as a, as a body of believers. Let's reinforce it in our home. Let's take personal responsibility that the gospel might be really spread abroad because we did what we